Welcome to Salt Lime Storytime, the podcast where we tell you stories worth telling over drinks. I'm Jess Nani, joined today by my medically innovative co-host, Allison Hillman. <laughs> sure, I'll take it. I mean, I feel like that could go in a lot of different directions, but I feel like for the most part, that's a quite a big compliment. So thank you so much for that. You're so welcome. Mm-hmm. Your hair um, is looking very curly today. I love it. Thank you. I washed it and I put like $12 product in it, so amazing amazing Mm -hmm. Jess how are you doing I am so good I am mostly so ready to hear about the fire station hauntings that you teased yesterday Allison and I had a brief phone call yesterday and she was like I have a haunting story to tell you but I can't tell you until we're on the pod and I've been just sitting here for 24 hours just like all right what is the story yeah all right so also uh in front of me, I have two very nice microphones because Jess left her microphone here at my house last week. So if the sound quality is a bit different on her end, that's why. And hopefully in the next episode or two, she'll have it returned to her. So yes. Anyway. Okay. So in the EMT class I'm in, we are doing ride-alongs right now with, in, with like fire stations and ambulances. And on my ride-along, it was a Sunday, and apparently even emergencies don't happen in Utah on Sundays. Like, everything is closed, and so are emergencies. So I didn't go on a single fucking call. I was so annoyed. And so I was talking with some of the firefighters and paramedics, and they were telling me how haunted that freaking building is. Not at this station, but at the other station in town, they see, like, full-body apparitions sometimes <gasps> of, like, firefighters. Like, it's like they are not fucking around with these stories, Jess. Like, it's insane. And so, at this station we are at, they have nobody that was there that day out of like the six guys that were there. None of them had seen a full body apparition, but they all have like a dozen stories. And I, like, I didn't go on any calls, but I could not have been happier that day. So, did he just just fall out of the litter box? No, he's knocking, he's playing in my recycling. He wants me to feed him. Um, Mm. Okay, anyway, so. One of them, let's see, let's start with, like, the basic, the classic footsteps. And, like, just hear them walking down the hall, coming up behind you, going up the stairs. Like, they'll just hear footsteps because, like, somebody's always at the station 24-7. And Mm -hmm. so there are, like, always people there. And so they sleep there. And which is just horrific because they'll wake up and, like sometimes feel like there's something sitting on their chest like they will have like sleep paralysis but they will only have it there and they will sometimes like wake up and then have this like ice cold feeling that somebody's in there with them watching them even though they're alone in their room and a lot of times they will hear things just walking down the hall at night even though they know that they're alone at least in that part of the station or like that somebody else is asleep there are these metal grates in the humongous garage where they keep all the fire trucks and ambulances. And if you walk on those a certain way, you can sometimes hear them like move and like clank and they will be alone in there doing whatever and will hear it clanking like somebody's walking on it. Oh my God. I hate that so much. You know what you're going to hate even worse is that they always leave the keys in the ignition just ready to go. And so the ambulances are always unlocked inside and the keys are always in the ignition. So when you open the door, it does the ding, 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 because there's a key in the ignition, right? Mm-hmm. And one, and <laughs> okay, so one guy, he was telling me how he was once alone. It was like three in the morning. He was alone writing up a report um, from a call he just went on and he hears the ding, ding, ding from the ambulance as the door, he watches the door open on the ambulance and then close. I have no words. Like, he didn't... It wasn't just that he heard it. He saw the door open and close. Like, the ambulance door where you have to, like, pull the lever, cronk, and then, like, open the door. Oh. My God. I hate that, and I'm also fascinated by it so much. Mm -hmm. I have recently been put onto EMT haunting TikTok. (laughs) Oh my god. Thanks to you. Wait, start sending me stuff. Uh, Of like this EMT that like POV you've opened the back of your whatever and there's like a little girl asking where her parents are like kind of thing. Great. So I'll start sending them to you. But I'm like, Allison is for sure going to see some fucking ghosts doing this job. Can't fucking wait. Listen, like every single one of them and these guys are like 
I don't know. They're not the kind of guys that I would assume would believe in ghosts. Let's, let's just say that. Mm-hmm. And they were all like, oh, my God, yeah, this place is insane. Yeah. Um. Okay, so they hear walking, doors open. They will, okay. So he also gave me a tour of the building itself, meaning the basement and everything, and, like, all these little nooks and crannies that are absolutely cursed and haunted. And, for instance, there's this door to the basement. You open it, and it kind of slams. It's a heavy door, so it slams shut loudly. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you can see where this is going. They'll be up on the third floor. Everybody up there, and then they will hear the basement door open and slam shut. And that happens, like, all the time. And then so we were when we were in the basement, I was like, cool, I hate this. And that's where the gym is. And so I was like, if I ever worked at this fire station, I would bring the weights upstairs and just work yeah, out there. Yeah, seriously. Like, yeah, no, no basement gym for me. Mm-hmm. And there were these, like, weird offshoots into, like, kind of storage rooms. But they're, like, in these little tunnels. Anyway, um, a lot of scary stuff there. Uh, sometimes when they're, like, on the potty things will like knock on the door which is just the <gasps> most awful like you could not be more vulnerable anyway that is the worst um, thing i've ever heard mm-hmm. and i'm getting to some of my favorite ones okay so one of my favorite ones is that the old uh fire chief he passed away from cancer a while ago and he would he used to walk up the stairs and tap his wedding ring on the arm railing <laughs> as he's going up and they will hear the tap, tap, tap of his ring on the metal railing as he walks up and down the stairs. No. Even though he's been dead for <laughs> who knows how long. Okay. And then this last one got me. This last one fucking got me. So they, the fire pole thing is a real thing. Like they will, they use like one fire pole that they use. They, if they're on the third floor and there's a call that comes out, they will get on it and drop down the fire pole to like be in immediately mm-hmm. in front of the fire trucks right so they still they use that all the time um yeah but there was this old one that is blocked off that is in one of the rooms like that they sleep in now and it's blocked off in the sense that the pole is still there it still hangs down but there's like wood like packed in around it so mm-hmm. that there's no hole in the ground anymore it's yeah. just like a pole going through the floor and in the middle of the night they will hear the sound of people sliding down the fire pole and it rattling. And they will look over and they will see the fire pole shaking. That is insane. Like, you can't, it's physically impossible to slide up and down this fire pole. And then they yeah. will, like, wake up to, anyway. That is absolutely cursed vibes. But it's also to me, okay, cursed vibes actually maybe is not the right thing to say. I feel like it's more, like, that just seems stuck to me. Like, that is, like, a repetition of activity. Mm-hmm. And and these spirits that, like, are trying to... I wonder if it's that thing of, like, these spirits are trying to recreate... Like, if there's, like, a night that their soul is stuck on, mm-hmm. you know? Recreating that over and over and over again for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a really good point. Like I asked him, I was like, have you ever had any losses of firefighters in the line of duty here? You know, and he was like, not that I can really recall, but I mean, like, even like the old chief, like he passed away from cancer, but he is still heard tapping his ring on the railing. So, um, but like one of them was like, I know the things that followed me back from calls because, and I totally believe that because they go on calls where usually things happen very suddenly and tragically. Mm-hmm. And it is like well known in the paranormal world that when stuff like that happens, spirits are like ghosts are more likely to be born from that. Yes. Than like, yeah. you know, 86 year old grandmother passing away peacefully in her bed. Mm-hmm. And so the type of calls they go on are like the type of calls that ghosts would attach themselves to. So they have come back and like they have had ghosts like follow them into the station and so it's not just like the fact that there are probably some firefighters who spent their entire life there that are either yeah. even in the afterlife sliding down the poles ready to go and get in their fire trucks and put out a fire or save someone's life. They're still doing that in the afterlife. But there's also lost souls there who were mm-hmm. who died in some horrific way and went home on the ambulance with them. Yeah. So I had a great time. I <laughs> asked about 8 million questions. I bet that was so interesting to listen I to. I was so annoying. Like, 
for hours. I was, I asked all, I've talked to every single one of them. And then like, they don't, because it's like, this is like a boys club, really. They only have one women's restroom there and mm-hmm. it was like downstairs. And so I was all scared every time I had to go pee. I was like, oh no. And anyway, it was, I was felt like so stupid. I was like, I'm 26 years old. Um, anyway. And there was also this really cursed thing that if you go up a spiral, like you have to go up the spiral staircase. It's where they hang the fire hoses to dry. Mm-hmm. And then, but it looks like an elevator shaft. And so you can like go and look up it and it looks like this dark black elevator shaft. And the guy who's like my favorite paramedic who's giving me the tour, he was just like, yeah, sometimes I swear I see someone hanging from up there and then I look and they're not there. And dude, this paramedic was just like, I know what this bitch needs. Yeah, we're good buddies. We had a good time. And that spiral staircase went up like four floors to the top of that elevator shaft and it was so spooky so anyway i go back tomorrow for nine hours and i can't wait so i can't wait to hear all about it thank you anyway. for telling us about your experience and i am so glad that it was so enlightening if not terrifying mm-hmm. and i do eventually i go to the other fire station in town um next week i go twice and that's where they see the full body apparitions so Holy i'll keep you posted shit. again mm-hmm. Hi. well oh, yeah. i have nothing anywhere near as exciting to follow that up with so should we just get started uh i think so i don't think there was anything else i wanted to discuss that was mainly it that's mostly what i've been looking forward to telling you about that's that's it just like 18 ghost stories in one go that's it <laughs> they, that's the thing they were all such good stories like it's yeah. not like oh sometimes we'll, they see things out of the corner of our eyes it's like the ambulance door opens and shuts we like hear people sliding down the old boarded off fire pole we hear the old chief banging his ring on like it's just like they're all like class a hauntings like there is not oh. just cool stuff anyway that's and insane. i work and that's just from that shift like i'm gonna be working with guys from a completely different shift so like six brand new people i've never worked with before and i'm gonna ask them all of their own shit at so. the more haunted place at the more haunted not place. tomorrow but next week yes oh my god so anyway well I can't. I next next three two one shots. I can't wait to hear all about it. Mm-hmm. So today we are doing. I, Alice and I didn't really mean to do this, but we both went with medical technology that we're really happy with. Am I mm-hmm. right on that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I kind of I didn't cheat with mine necessarily, but I definitely talk about other things in mine. But I am very grateful for the medicine that came yeah. as a result of this. Okay, I can't. I can't wait. We are we are diving into our our prompt was technology we're grateful exists, and uh, this is where we ended up. Allison, I think you're going first this week, and mm-hmm. I am thrilled to hear all about it. I can't wait to tell you all about it. I would not be surprised if you knew all about this because this is kind of up your alley. Okay, I'm so excited. I'm going to tell you the story of Henrietta Lacks. Okay. Do you know that name? No. Okay, let me know if this rings a bell um, in the next couple paragraphs. So, hello, Jess. Welcome. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I am a huge fan of vaccines. Big old fan over here. We're we're not anti-vaxxers in this household. No. In fact, modern medicine is like top two things I'd miss dearly should I travel back in time. Like, I'm not joking. I would be thinking about it constantly. Yeah. All the time. And so since modern medicine took off in the last, like, 60-ish years, millions, if not billions, of lives have been saved. And the life expectancy Mm -hmm. alone of the average person has more than doubled. That's crazy. So in 1900, the average life expectancy was 31 years. 31 years. In 1950, it was 46 years. And today, we are all the way up to, can you guess... 71 72 fuck yeah it was like 71.9 or something so like technically we're both right oh i love that look at us go yeah and that increase in life expectancy is almost entirely because of modern medicine yeah absolutely so today i would like to tell you about a woman named henrietta lax like l-a-c-k-s a pioneer in modern medicine the woman who unknowingly saved an estimate 10 million lives after <gasps> hers was taken by cervical cancer. Oh my gosh. Okay. Because of Henrietta, we have the polio vaccine, 
as well as improved treatments for cancer, HIV, and other diseases. Oh my gosh. And however, as pivotal as these discoveries are and as grateful as we are for them, they were made very controversially, and that's kind of what I'm going to go into a bit today. Okay. So before Henrietta's death, doctors took cells from her cancerous tumor without her knowledge or consent and sent them to labs. The Lax family wouldn't learn of their mother's contribution to medicine for over 20 years mm. because this was all done secretly. And it is worth noting that Henrietta Lacks is an African-American woman. So yeah. Henrietta Lacks was born Loretta Pleasant, which is the cutest name That's I've lovely. ever heard. She just sounds so nice. So she was born Loretta Pleasant on August 1st, 1920 in Roanoke, Virginia. She was one of 10 children and grew up in poverty. When she was 14, she moved with her family to Turner Station, Maryland, a suburb in Baltimore. In 1941, at the age of 21, Henrietta married David Lax, and they had five children together. Ten years later, in 1951, Henrietta went to John Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore complaining of vaginal bleeding. At the time, Johns Hopkins Hospital was one of a few hospitals that would treat poor African Americans. Upon examination, renowned gynecologist Dr. Howard Jones discovered a large, malignant tumor on Henrietta's cervix. She was treated with radiation therapy, which was the standard treatment for cervical cancer at the time. Mm -hmm. However, her cancer was extremely aggressive and continued to spread, and she passed away just a few months later on October 4th, 1951. She was only 31 years old. Jeez Louise. Don't eat that. No, stop eating that. Damn it. I bet she experienced this with her five children. I'm sure this is just as hard. (laughs) Me and this cat. Stop it. Okay. What nobody knew was that during her visits for cancer treatment, a small piece of Henrietta's tumor was removed without her knowledge or consent and sent to the laboratory of Dr. George Gay. L-O-L. He was a cancer and virus scientist who had spent years trying to grow and multiply human cells. According to the Johns Hopkins website, quote, Dr. Gay had been collecting cells from all patients, regardless of their race and socioeconomic status, like that's how I read it in my head, um, who came to the to the Johns Hopkins Hospital with cervical cancer, but Mm -hmm. each sample quickly died in Dr. Gay's lab. What Dr. Gay would soon discover was that Mrs. Lack's cells were unlike any of the other he had ever seen. Where other cells would die, Mrs. Lack's cells doubled every 20 to 24 hours. Oh my gosh. End quote. So these cells could essentially grow and multiply indefinitely, which is extremely rare in humans. The scientists have since discovered that the reason Henrietta cells were able to do this is due to a genetic mutation that caused them to become cancerous. The mutation disrupted the normal mechanisms of cell growth and division, and that basically allowed the cells to grow uncontrollably. But what this meant is that they could test and retest the same batch of cells forever, which is huge as far as like experimentation and needing like a constant and everything. So yes. And they were also, like, trying to use, like, monkey cells, but those just weren't working. Like, this was just... Yeah. That's so interesting. So the cells, now named HeLa cells after Henrietta Lacks, uh, were also unique because they were particularly hardy and resistant to contamination, Mm -hmm. which made them ideal for use in a wide range of medical research studies. I feel like they really missed out from calling them pleasant cells. I know. That would have been nice, but... Do you think the name laxatives was already taken? Probably. Okay. So that's why they're like like HELA. around at that point. But also like they did this in secret. So they didn't want to like name the cells. Like, I mean, that's like kind of a little, that's like a little suspicious. So HELA Mm, cells is. HELA cells is a little more under the radar. Exactly. And it sounds a bit more scientific. What the fuck are you eating? Oh my actual Jesus Christ. Okay. He gets to eat in 30 minutes. I want to die. Okay, so her cell's resilience um, made it possible to study the effect of various drugs and treatments on human cells and the effects and proper treatments for various diseases. So, like, these cells just covered everything. 
And it wasn't long before Henrietta's HeLa cells were being used in labs all over the world. That's insane that they multiplied enough that they could, like, be sent places. Oh, yeah. And even to this day, still. Uh. <laughs> Did you mean to do that? drinking one of those dumb malibu like cans whatever and it's just making me burp so much although she she her jaw dropped like as in like a whoa or like a wow and then she just burped like there was no other movement on her face just her mouth was open jaw to the floor and then she burped (laughs) my body was like you're providing me the out i'm gonna take it that was some comedy gold right there thank you But uh, that's so crazy that it's still used today. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into exactly what it's used for. So 22 years after Henrietta's death in 1973, (laughs) and okay, so Henrietta's family got a call. Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm just picturing what the scientist was thinking this entire time. So anyway, Henrietta's family got a call from scientists asking for some blood samples so they could study their genes. And the Lax family was like, what? Why? And I'm sure the scientist was like, oh, um, yeah, actually, I got to go, like, fold the dishes. I'm so sorry. And just probably hung up and screamed into a pillow because he found out that they had no idea about any of this. Anyway. Moose. Hey. Don't do that. God, we're two working mothers. This is just... Just a single mom who works, works two, two jobs. <laughs> okay, so he was like, I gotta go fold the dishes. Gotta blast. But the Lax family was not gonna let that go. They were like, wait, what were you talking about? And so it was only after further investigation and inquiries from the family that they <gasps> finally learned the full extent of Henrietta's contribution to medical research. Oh my god. Yeah. Talk about a clerical error by them. <laughs> uh-huh. By like all of the all of the scientists across the world, like <laughs> oh, conveniently forgot to tell these people. Yeah, for real. And I'll I'll talk about this like a bit more later, but the thing about this though is that like there were no like like HIPAA laws weren't a thing yet. There wasn't any kind of like co- doctor patient confidentiality and consent certainly wasn't a thing in the 50s. And so Yeah. This kind of sparked a lot of debate there. So they finally learned how their mother and grandmother had revolutionized medicine Mm -hmm. 22 years after the fact. So the Lax family is obviously stunned and they are equal parts proud of what her cells have achieved and furious for how she was treated by doctors and how her cells were basically taken advantage of. So this has since raised important ethical questions about the use of human tissue in medical research, and it sparked Mm -hmm. important conversations about informed consent and patient privacy. Absolutely, as it should. Oh, yes. So several scientists around the world were making billions of dollars and earning Nobel Peace Prizes for their discoveries using HeLa cells. And so far, the family had seen none of that money. Yeah, that feels so slimy. It's so slimy. And some of these people in the Lax family were suffering from their own chronic illnesses, and they didn't have health insurance. Oh, my God. And meanwhile, you know, some, like, geneticist up in New York City is living in, like, a mansion Mm -hmm. because of their ancestors' cells. Well, and not even their ancestor cells, like literally, like their oh yeah, like, ancestors wasn't the right one. Ge- like no, but I like I get what you're saying, but like one generation removed of like their mother and their grandmother, they they knew her, and he, yeah. anyway, and he was just sitting pretty, and they were literally like suffering without health insurance. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so in 2010, a best-selling book, and this is why I thought that you might know about it, is because of. I was wondering if you'd read this book. So in 2010, a best-selling book by Rebecca Skloot was published called, I know, a great name, called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, which was later turned into a movie starring Oprah Winfrey. 
Okay, this sounds really familiar now that you say that book title. I've never read it, but I've seen it on Goodreads. I gotcha. I never got a chance to read it, and I also didn't get a chance to watch the movie starring Oprah Winfrey, which is on HBO, by the way, but I meant to watch that before, but I didn't have time. And so while the Lax family received some compensation for Sklut's best-selling book, not everyone in the family thought it was enough. Lawrence Lax, Henrietta's eldest son, put Sklut and Oprah on blast for the inaccurate and racist portrayal of the African-American family while profiting from his mother's legacy without giving back to the family. Mm. However, five family members were paid consultants on the film, and Rebecca Sklut also, like, incorporated them and their own stories, like, into the book. Like, she did consult with them. So I'm not sure how many family members share his opinion on that. I tried to find more on that, but it was, like, really... There's so much information on this, and there's so many people who have been descended from her. And there's, anyway, so. Five kids. I mean, that's a big line. And I do know that Rebecca Skloot did give some proceeds from the book to the family, but I'm not sure how much. And I have heard, like, a couple sources were like, they didn't get anything. A couple sources were like, they got some. But so I'm not, I'm really not entirely sure. But she, she did do this. Rebecca Skloot later said, quote, When I was working on the book, once I understood what the family had been through, I knew I didn't want to be someone who came along and benefited from the story without doing something for them in return. Mm -hmm. So I started the Henrietta Lacks Foundation. The broader mission of the foundation is it provides assistance, grants for education, health care, and emergency needs for people who made significant contributions to science without their knowledge or consent and their descendants. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So Sklut says more than 56 grants have been given out to the Lax family through the foundation to help with medical bills, car repairs, hearing aids, tuition, and more. Like one of one of them, she needed to get like her entire mouth basically redone by a dentist, like all of her teeth. And anyway, mm-hmm. and so this foundation paid for like three grand in her medical like dental bills to get like yeah a whole new set of teeth and she was like i can eat again so i can't oh my gosh some other grants have gone to descendants of men who were unknowingly involved in the tuskegee syphilis study <gasps> yeah do you know about that oh my gosh i do yeah those mm-hmm. were those were african-american men as well right yeah okay yeah and also, readers of Sklut's book have also donated to the foundation for various reasons. Some were scientists who said they owed their career to Henrietta Sells, and some were cancer survivors who said they are still alive thanks to her. Oh my gosh. <gasps> oh. Oh God, I know. Okay. On October 4th, 2021... Henrietta's descendants sued Thermo Fisher Scientific, a biotechnology company, for $9.9 million because of, quote, making a conscious choice to sell and mass produce the living tissue of Henrietta Lacks. End quote. So the family's attorney, Ben Crump, said, quote, it is outrageous that this company would think that they have intellectual property rights to their grandmother's cells. Why is it that they have intellectual rights to her cells and can benefit billions of dollars when her family, her flesh and blood, her black children get nothing? Wow. Mm -hmm. The implications of the fact that, like, these cells are being sold, like, the ethical implications of that are so fucked. Yeah. Yeah, this whole thing is, it's insane. I mean, this, this lawsuit happened in 2021 like this yeah is an ongoing struggle for them and i didn't put this in here but there was one you know guy i think he's like the great grandson of of henrietta and he was saying that he's trying to like they're trying to end like a generational almost like curse of this so that Mm -hmm. it ends with them and the future of the lax family doesn't have to deal with this kind of like legal shit yeah, seriously. Well, because, I mean, at this point, like, they found out about... When did that scientist call them about the cells? 1973. So that's literally, like, almost three generations of family having mm-hmm. to deal with this mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, I mean, like Which I said, like, she, they were like, super proud of her, but the way that the scientific community was handling and dealing her 
DNA yeah. and cells was not is not it. The lawsuit goes on to say, quote, the exploitation of Henrietta Lacks represents the unfortunately common struggle experienced by Black people throughout history. Indeed, Black suffering has fueled innumerable medical progress and profit without just compensation or recognition. Various studies, both documented and undocumented, have thrived off the dehumanization of Black people. End quote. Wow. The lawsuit was filed exactly 70 years to the day that Henrietta died on October 4th, <gasps> 1951. Oh my gosh. 70 years? To the day. That's insane. I know. But, like I said before, the family is extremely proud of what their mother yeah. and grandmother has helped achieve. Quote, it's an honor to know that she is part of something so important. We may not have known how important she was back then, but we sure do now. That was a mm-hmm. quote from David Lax Jr., Henrietta's grandson. Jerry Lax Y. is Henrietta's granddaughter, and she said, quote, It's like she's still alive in a way. She's helped so many people, and it's amazing to see how far her cells have come. Mm-hmm. End quote. So, since their discovery... Jess, this is going to... You're going to shit your pants, okay? Since their discovery, HeLa cells have created or assisted in the creation of, one, the polio vaccine. Because of this vaccine, polio has been eradicated 99% globally. Oh my gosh. Number two, cancer treatments for leukemia, cervical cancer, and much more. Chronic disease is the leading cause of death and disability in the United States, accounting for 70% of all deaths. Without her treatment, those numbers would be much, much higher. Number three. Sorry, you were going to say something? No, I just like, I'm just thinking about the implications because she died of cervical cancer, right? Yes. So like her cells like helped. Yeah. Like the the full circle is really fascinating. It's like, it's just Mm -hmm. really like lovely. Yeah. And I mean, and this is absolutely not my place to say this, but I couldn't help but thinking it's like. It's almost, it's almost like she didn't die in vain. But again, that's not my place to say that. But it's yeah. the fact that she could go on to save so many. I just wish mm-hmm. that she knew. Well, and I think that's the thing that's like hard about the story is that, like you said, it's simultaneously like her contribution to science is so widespread and like literally affects millions of people. And had her family known, mm-hmm. like, just like the difference that that would have made in all of this because it's like she really is like uh, like a me- like it's it's a miracle that her cells just happen to work for this mm-hmm. and that should be celebrated without having to be tainted by the fact that it was like hidden you know yeah celebrated but yes i i agree i'm sorry i'm sorry not the time for Thank puns for but anyway <clears throat> okay N- number 3 her cells ha- ow he just bit my achilles tendon fucking okay my legs are cramping because they cross so hard. Number three, her cells have contributed to antiviral treatments, including the vaccine for COVID-19. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Like, her cells weren't the only ones used in that, but like they contributed to the yeah. creation of the COVID vaccine. Oh, my gosh. So we have all been directly affected. Yes. By Henrietta. Yes. So number four. Genetics. Helo cells were one of the first human cell lines to have their genome sequenced and be used extensively in genetic research studies, DNA replication, and other aspects of genetics. So we can basically thank Henrietta for Ancestry.com. Oh my gosh. Well, and then like think about all the implications that had for like like solving crime and like Mm -hmm. all of these things. You want to talk about a butterfly effect? I know crazy i know like this woman's story just blew my mind number five chromosome counts scientists first saw chromosomes clearly for the first time they saw them clearly in hela cells which improved the study of down syndrome and other genetic diseases Mm -hmm. this one blew my mind this next one her cells helped create the HPV slash herpes vaccine that will maybe soon be released. 
Oh my goodness. From what I saw, this vaccine was developed in like the 80s or something, and the guy who developed it won like a Nobel Peace Prize for it. But I don't think it's been released to the public yet, and I think they're still working on it. But mm-hmm. this is what this vaccine will do. So HeLa cells showed that herpes and cervical cancer are directly related in women. This vaccine essentially prevents the cancer-causing infection. Estimates suggest that the HPV vaccination will help to reduce the number of deaths from cervical cancer by 70%. Talk about a legacy. Like the same cancer she died from. Yeah. Her cells could help reduce the number of deaths by 70%. Jeez Louise. Her cells also help develop IVF, so intravito fertilization. Mm -hmm. Her cells were the first cells to be cloned. And in 1964, HeLa cells were sent to space to study space travel's effect on the human body. So she's been to space. Homegirl's been everywhere. (laughs) She's been to every country and back and into space. The first human cells to ever go to space. Okay. So I'm going to end with this. Victoria Baptiste, Henrietta's great-granddaughter, said, quote, We want people to know the truth about our family and about what happened to our mother's cells. We want people to understand who she was as a person, not just as a source of cells for research. And that is the incredible story of Henrietta Lacks and how her cells revolutionize science and health and medicine today. Wow. That was fascinating, Allison. And I just like talk about, like I said earlier, a butterfly effect. Mm hmm. And incredible and i'm i i don't know where the lawsuit lawsuit ended up at but i hope that her family got at least some retribution let me see if let me actually i meant to look that up so i think it's still in progress and oh my god i don't want to subscribe to you the baltimore sun (laughs) oh i hate that i hate that they won't let you see anything so i think that it's still ongoing Mm mm-hmm Lawsuits like that usually take a hot minute. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure that we don't know the outcome of that yet, but I I do hope that they get something from that because, like, Thermo Fisher makes so much freaking money. Yeah. And they profited so much off that. So, anyway, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I just had no idea how much this woman has affected even our lives to this very day. No, seriously. Like, talk, like I said, I mean, there's... So, so much, much that her cells and her herself and her family sacrifice like has given the world yeah i wonder if any of her grandkids or like great grandkids have like ever gone into science and gotten to work with her cells Ooh, jess that's a great question i don't know i don't know that would that be would kind be of emotional amazing. to like yeah. know, like this is my great grandma and like because of her i'm like gonna discover this thing but I know. Anyway. Oh, I'm going to list my sources really fast. I'm sorry. One minute. Um, A USA Today article by Andrea Mendel. An NPR article. I guess it's an NPR article by the Associated Press um, about the lawsuit. Technologynetworks.com and uh, five contributions HeLa cells have made to science. That was an article name. Those are my big ones. All right, Allison. Welcome to your least favorite day of middle school gym class. No gym clothes are required today. Instead, slump back in your awkward desk chair combo and pull out your parent signed permission slip for the teacher. Mm. Aggressively avoid eye contact with anyone in the class you have ever had any sort of romantic feelings for and subtly check your iPod touch for any messages from friends that have already taken the class in hopes of gleaning any sort of idea what's coming for you. Mm. That's right. It's sex talk week and abstinence only is the name of the game. Oh, can't wait to go through this again. But behold, the blue-haired NPR tote bag queen who sits in the third <laughs> row and was sent by God to terrorize the teacher is raising her hand. <laughs> what about birth control? She says with a snap of her bubble gum. Well, Allison, today I am your blue-haired NPR tote bag carrying girl sans the bubble gum. No. And I'll be answering her question. <laughs> what about birth control? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Did I set a scene for you? Okay. <laughs> About painting a picture. That's so funny. We all need the blue haired NPR tote bag girl. We all we all had one. Incredible. We all sure did. Uh, I honestly one time. I was in class, seventh grade, health class, and they were talking about, like, doing the sex talk. This is a quick story. A kid in my class raised his hand and asked a question about condoms, and the teacher said that it was too inappropriate to talk about in school. Yeah. So, anyway, I vividly remember that. We're going to talk about condoms today. Oh, shit. So, that seventh grade boy, he would be educated by this. So, we're talking about birth control. We're talking about the history of birth control today. Uh, To list my sources really quick. I watched the Hank Green video on the history of birth control. I watched the NPR uh, history video on birth control. I read about 80 Wikipedia articles on the various forms of birth control and a Healthline article on the history and politics of birth control. And some other YouTube videos that I started and didn't finish. (laughs) So, to start off, Allison... Let's take it way back to 1850 BCE in ancient oh, Egypt. Great year. I, fabulous year. Uh-huh. As an ancient Egyptian woman, you had a few choices to stave off the burden of pregnancy. You could take the biblical approach, or coitus interruptus, as the book of Genesis called it, Ooh. and just hope your man's pullout game was strong. Mm. Also, side note, in the book of Genesis, which is the very first book in the Bible, when they are referencing coitus interruptus, it is talking about a man who is sleeping with his dead brother's wife, okay. and it would be inappropriate for him to have a, a son with her because his brother is dead. That's what's inappropriate? The Bible is so fucked. <laughs> so thus, we get to say the term coitus interruptus about 80 times in this in this podcast. I'm it sounds like thrilled. a disease. It sounds really gross coitus interruptus it's fabulous there's gonna be a lot of things that vaguely sound like diseases that are not in this coitus interruptus sounds like the original name for cock blocking that sounds like the scientific term for cock block it kind of is oh all right (laughs) great let's go so pull out game not working for you ancient sources aka (gasps) yes (laughs) <laughs> the Evers Papyrus and the Cahoon Papyrus document the earliest known me- mentions of birth control. Egyptian women use contraceptive pessaries. What is a pessary, you may be asking? According to the dictionary, a pessary is a prosthetic device inserted into the vagina for structural and pharmaceutical purposes. It's most commonly used to treat stress urinary incontinence, to stop urinary leakage, and to treat pelvic organ prolapse to maintain the location of organs in the pelvic region. It can also be used to administer medications locally in the vagina or as a method of contraception. Oh my god! And dictionary. <laughs> is this wait that's what they used to do no you can still make these but this is egyptian women would create pessaries that included um acaya gum which actually has been proven to have spermicidal qualities and is still actively used in contraceptive jellies today shit okay i know it's kind of crazy they also used to include other gummy substances to cover the quote mouth of the womb aka the cervix um, using a mixture of honey and sodium carbonate applied to the inside of the vagina. And of course, my favorite, a pessary made from crocodile dung. No mm. babies, just immense amounts of UTIs. Oh, no. Oh. I just want to know who tried it first. I just <laughs> like to have a conversation. Yeah. Who, who thought of that and was like, I need to get the word out? Yeah. Okay. Then my next question okay. is like... No, go ahead. So I was going to say that was definitely a kink. And then they realized that it had. I was going to make that joke. I'm sorry. And then I was like, is that kink shaming? And then I did it. <laughs> so I'm no, glad that you did. No, I mean, I'm not kink shaming. I'm just stating the obvious facts that that was yeah. a kink. And she was like, fine, we can use that. And she never got pregnant again. So. And she also, you know, died of exposure. Anyway, across the pond in ancient Greece and Rome, their birth control method was so widely revered that they put it on a fucking coin. <laughs> Silphium, a species of fennel only found in North Africa, was used as one of the first oral contraceptives. It was a temperamental plant and only grew in a very small area in what's now modern-day Libya. 
by the first century AD, it had been entirely eradicated from overuse. Romans had to turn to other plants for their birth control fix, including queens and lace, willow, date palm, pomegranate, pennyroyal, um, myrrh, and rue, which are so, like, that's just is so threatening. Myrrh and rue. Myrrh. Murder. <laughs> Do oh. this. No. Some of these plants are toxic, and ancient Greek documents specified safe dosages to avoid murder. Did you? Did you really? I keep stealing yes. your jokes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Queen's Anne's lace is still used for birth control today in India. Um, but yeah, so silphium, they literally like their coins had it on it. That's how much they actively used it and loved it and it does not exist anymore it is extinct because of overusage which isn't that just like so funny (laughs) i mean people do be fucking they do they do be fucking aristotle the philosopher recommended lubing up the vaginal canal with cedar oil prior to intercourse this method may actually have worked simply because it would clog the vagina over time they've also found a hippocratic text titled on the nature of woman that recommended women avoided avoiding children drink copper salt dissolved into water to stave off pregnancy for a year. This was literally poisonous if used too much. So yeah, I guess death also works if you don't want a kid in Roman times. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> what I love is it's like, this herb actually works. And then it's like, lick a mineral and see what happens. And most of the time what happens is you can die. <laughs> fuck around and find out is the fuck real find out. like you're literally fucking around and then you're we're just gonna hope for the best mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so in ancient china and india they took a little bit more of a logical approach than just drinking salt water there is wide documentation of the practice coitus reservatus which wikipedia defines as a sexual intercourse union and reserved also known as sexual continence and it's a form of sexual intercourse in which a male does not attempt to ejaculate within his partner but instead attempts to remain at a plateau phase of intercourse for as long as possible avoiding the seminal emission (laughs) other methods included melting (laughs) would you like would you like me to read the phrase seminal emission again no i'm really great i would just prefer the term edging so basically, yeah, they were just, like, aggressively etching themselves. Okay. Um, and it was really interesting because there was – I didn't put this in there, but um, there's a theory that part of it was because they were trying to maintain their balance within their body and maintain their yang. So it's unclear if it was truly, like, a form of birth control or if it was just, like, them exuding, like, immense amounts of self-control. But – it's hard to say. Good for them either way. Sure. Other methods in ancient China also included melting quicksilver and oil together into a pill form and having a woman take it to induce sterility. Like I said, a lot of eating minerals for no real reason in in ancient times. I, in like, America. Go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say honestly, I mean, like, you're not wrong if you're dead you can't reproduce. But yeah. it's like they're essentially killing themselves from the inside out. And anyway, wow, the things we do yeah. for sex. I know, right? So in the ancient Americas, going full around the world for the most part, Native Americans use cycle tracking to determine when their likelihood of conceiving would fall. They would literally track their discharge and they would know based off of that. And like women today still do this. You can do like cycle tracking and use no birth control and you're able to track it pretty well to it's not 100 percent perfect but like they didn't have any apps they were literally just doing it on like what liquid was coming out that day <laughs> which is like absolutely insane um they also used it ex- used extended nursing up to three years to prevent pregnancies between children so jumping wow. to the medieval times i know Kind of, kind of interesting. I'm kind of like whiplash here. Okay, medieval. Well, you know, we're we that was that was ancient. That was ancient times. A lot of minerals. A lot. I'm of, really impressed, actually. What's crazy is, like I said, a lot of these things. So, like Native Americans would also use like Indian paintbrush, and that like also works. Like, 
they there's all these herb combos that were working for them and then they just throw in random minerals that maybe weren't great <laughs> so it's fine mm-hmm. but uh jumping to the medieval times in western europe what once had been a common widely acceptable practice was now punishable by death according to the catholic church after the decimation the plague left on population numbers, any attempt to stop children from coming into the world was considered deeply immoral and ungodly. Historians like John M. Riddle believe women relied on herb combinations to induce abortions at early stages in pregnancy and lessen the chance of pregnancy overall. Riddle makes a fascinating point saying, quote, These drugs were perfected over centuries in a female culture of which males who were doing the writing at the time had only a partial and imperfect understanding. Hmm. So what's really interesting is like we don't necessarily have any written concept of what birth control they were using in medieval times because women weren't writing. Because it was a very patriarchal society and most women didn't know how to read and were not allowed to read. So it just makes me wonder how much of history we don't know because 50% mm -hmm. of the population of the entire Mm -hmm. world never had a say in what was written down. It's well, and like as birth control was more and more stigmatized, it became entirely folk knowledge. And even still, they can track the populations after the plague and it kept the population pretty static. So like whatever they were doing, we don't know what it was, but it was working. And there's also, I didn't want to get into this too heavily because it's not great, but there's also like a widespread amount of infanticide that happened Um, in the medieval times Mm -hmm. because they literally couldn't afford to like keep their children alive. Yeah. So it was like considered kinder to kill them before they had to die of starvation. Yeah. So, on December 5th, 1484, Pope Innocent VIII issued a papal bull in which he recognized the existence of witches and gave full papal approval for the Inquisition to proceed with, quote, correcting, imprisoning, punishing, and chastising witches according to their deserts. Witches were explicitly accused of having slain infants yet in their mother's womb, a.k.a. abortion, and of hindering men from performing the sexual act and women from conceiving, a.k.a. contraception. These quote-unquote witches were also accused of having the power to steal men's penises, which I just love. (laughs) What I don't love is that in the course of the church's supposed witch hunt, they were actually hunting midwives and the women who could help other women medically beyond pregnancy. And they were, like, killing midwives widespread. So gotcha. infant death rates increased, as well as death rates of mother and mothers and childbirth. Great. Not to get political, but sound familiar? Um, mm-hmm. So, by the late 18th century, so we're jumping ahead to, you know, the 1700s here, lamb intestine condoms and similar were in wide use. But it was commonly accepted that they primarily prevented STIs and often broke, so they weren't super reliable. Casanova, who you may have heard of, was a famous Italian author noted for his documentation of European customs at the time. He was one of the first to widely and publicly use condoms to run pregnancy on his travels because my man was traveling all through Europe, documenting what all these different countries were doing, and part of that was sucking and fucking, you know? <laughs> Oh yeah, and he was like, "I don't want to have a string of I don't want to have a string of illegitimate babies in every country in Europe." You know what's going to help me? Lambskin condoms. Mm-hmm. So, the church was obviously abhorred by this <laughs> behavior, <laughs> and in fact yeah. suggested that war, hunger, and disease were the only godly ways to keep population growth down. God is so embarrassed right now. <laughs> A rising movement of feminists began touting the term voluntary versus involuntary motherhood and arguing that women should only have to have sex to make babies and for nothing else. And that, my friend, is how abstinence-only sex education was born. No way. Thank you, 18th and 19th century feminists. They took consent to a point that it was like... (laughs) abstinence holy shit (laughs) they said just don't have sex (laughs) yeah damn i didn't know Um, that yeah so in contrast the birth control movement was in full swing 
These groups emphasized control. They argued that women should have control over their reproduction without sacrificing sex. Leagues were established in the late 19th century to promote public education about the importance of family planning and advocating for the elimination of penalties against the promoters of birth control. These groups really caught steam during what's known as the Knowlton trial of Annie Besant and Charles Bradley on, in July of 1877. These two are po- prosecuted for publishing a book known called The Fruits of Philosophy, which explained various methods of birth control. Besant and Bradley wrote that it was, quote, more moral to prevent the conception of children than after they are born to murder them by want of food, air, and clothing. So we're really on, like, two sides of the coin of, like, just don't have sex or, like, children don't deserve to die from hunger. Yeah. A lot of philosophical things happening here. The trial triggered a wave of public interest in contraception, and book sales of Knowlton's book actually surged. Victorian women were now better educated on contraception and avoiding pregnancy. They had the first reliable condoms and diaphragms made out of vulcanized rubber. No more crocodile poop. No more. Oh my god, finally. It's all we've needed. And some of the stigma that had come from the church in, you know, from the medieval times to, like, you know, kind of Middle Regency era were starting to go away unfortunately Mm. unfortunately like Mm. a lot of good things in america (laughs) the distribution of information about safe sex and contraceptions was outlawed by the comstock act and i just needed to be clear here i love that they just were like you know things are going really well for women in regards to sex let's just ban them from talking about it (laughs) yeah And instead, and instead, okay, this was in one of the Healthline articles that I read. Instead of like, hey, don't have sex or like, hey, you know, have sex and make as many babies as you want. One of the suggested methods was something called bundling. You're going to die when I tell you this. I really don't like the name, so. So 19th century couples who were not yet married, but, like, because a lot of times, you know, they lived in in towns far away from each other, would go and visit. And instead of being like, we can't have you have any, like, kids out of wedlock or anything like that, or, like, we can't have you stay in separate houses because we're poor and we have, like, three bedrooms that's or, like, three rooms in our house total – they would let them sleep in the same bed, but they would put a board in between them and then sew them into the sheets for the um, night. What? Bundling. Oh, my God. And so, but a lot of couples would manage to get out of their sewn sheets and find a way to get through the board. But is that not the funniest thing you've That's, ever heard? M- mankind finds a way. That is his. Hysterical. It feels like a lambskin condom would have been a lot easier, but whatever. That's just me. Oh my god, that's funny. I just the picturing that is just I, comical. Could have been a whole podcast itself. Truly. <laughs> so Margaret Singer, who was a fierce birth control activist and the mo- mother of the modern birth control pill, worked to publicize the concept of birth control in the early 20th century, despite this comstock law she opened a very short-lived birth control clinic in 1960 that only lasted nine days before they were shut down she was arrested and put on trial for distributing birth control however her trial led to the publicity she was trying to garner she gained the support of many many donors and volunteers that allowed her to create the first birth control league in america it is important i think to know that sanger did indeed have ties to the eugenics movement at the time we're talking about the early 1920s, 1930s, which is like the height of things like the syphilis study that you mentioned in your story and right. like the absolute medical horror that was how they were treating African-Americans in a Jim Crow like nation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unclear if she allied with the eugenics movement because they helped move her cause along or because she genuinely believed in their message that only white financially stable people should have children she never publicly said but it does kind of taint her legacy unfortunately because she did a lot of really great things for birth control but she also was like hey eugenics i'm in on you (laughs) right right so not great anyway (laughs) 
The first ever viable birth control clinic was set up in Britain a couple of years later in 1921 by Marie Stopes, who worked with Margaret Sanger on the implementation and birth control concepts. Stopes wrote a book called Married Love on birth control in 1918. It was very controversial, but turned into a huge hit, making Stopes a household name. After that, she wrote Wise Parenthood, a book for married people, which was another manual on family planning. She tried to spread the word by handing out pamphlets in London slums, but it didn't work since folks were too suspicious of her messaging. And again, this kind of gets into the eugenics thing of like, she's trying to stop poor people from having babies. Mm-hmm. which I think is probably rooted in something of like, you know, trying to help them, but also again, a little bit of eugenics, a little bit of classism happening here, mm-hmm. but all good things have to have some sort of dark past. Unfortunately. Yeah. So in 1921, Stopes and her husband, Humphrey, wait till you hear this name, Humphrey Verdon Rowe. Ooh. Just Humphrey. Ooh. Incredible. That's delicious. Uh, they opened the mother's clinic in Holloway, North London. It was run by midwives and visited by doctors. The clinic taught moms about birth control and how to use a cervical cap. Later that year, Stope started the Society for Constructive Birth Control and Racial Progress to support the clinic. By framing birth control in scientific terms, her clinic made it more acceptable in the 1920s and it gained worldwide fame. The Malthusian League, which is one of the birth control leagues, opened another clinic, but admitted Stopes was the first in the British Empire to do so. These two clinics marked a turning point in the movement for women's liberation and for their reproductive rights. So throughout the 1920s, Stopes and other feminists like Dora Russell and Stella Brown played a huge part in breaking down taboos around sex and increasing knowledge and pleasure and reproductive health. Stopes was super influential in helping birth control movements take off in the British colonies like India. In 1930, the National Birth Control Council was formed, which, like, if you think about it, they, the Comstock laws in America were enacted in eight, around 1880. So 50 years later, the British government is, like, making national um, like committees or councils for this. Wow. Um, so, like, to go, like, this, I, I'm sure you've, there's been such, like, a back and forth swing in mm-hmm. birth control of, like, we're using literal alligator dung to make sure that we don't have babies and like we're putting birth control on coins to literally you can be beheaded for trying to use birth control to i am a author influencer in regent sierra talking about my lambskin condoms so i don't have like sons all over europe to like don't talk about it again to we have a national committee like it's just crazy like the cycle it goes in and we're on this anyway, swing backwards right now, so. I know. it's Well, and that's what's crazy. Like, as I was writing this, I was like, we are literally on a swing backwards for this right now. So after this council was formed, Stella Brown started giving talks around the country, um, around India, on birth control, women's health, puberty issues, and sex education. In 1929, she began to openly call for legalizing abortion at the World Sexual Reform Congress in London, which, like, 1930, this is happening. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, she had some kahunas on her. Yeah. Wow. In April 1930, the birth control conference brought together 700 delegates pushing birth control and abortion into politics. Just three months later, the UK Ministry of Health let local authorities provide birth control advice in welfare centers. So back in the Americas around the same time, a chemist named Russell Marker noticed that Mexican women were using wild yam to prevent pregnancy. He realized that yams contained progesterone, which he was able to create a synthetic version known as progesterone. Thus, a viable oral solution to birth control was born. What? Yes. Yams? Yes. Yams. Again, natural birth controls. Yams. Yam floored with that information. Yes. So by 1960, the FDA had approved the pill. And by 1967, 13 million people worldwide were using some form of the pill. Whoa. This research also gave way to the very first IUD called the Lipes Loop in 1964. And by 1970, tubal ligation became significantly safer and much more acceptable. There are now 12 medically approved birth control options and many, many variations depending on your medical needs. And 
it, as we mentioned before, unfortunately, the road to get to these 12 has been wrought with the mistreatment of particularly Black women and Indigenous women. We could go, we could do four podcast episodes on yeah. kind of this mistreatment, but a lot of, like I mentioned earlier, in kind of like the Jim Crow era and particularly like in Canada with the Indigenous women and in America, using the guise of birth control to basically push eugenics sterilizing people without their consent or sterilizing people um, in exchange for receiving medical care being forced to go on permanent birth control having their tubes tied against their will things like that um again this is the thing that's hard about birth control is that it is tied hand in hand with eugenics However, birth control has also allowed women to take control of their lives in a way that was not previously afforded their crocodile dung using counterparts. Mm-hmm. It has been a undeniably massive driver in women's rights and women's ability to work and be educated in the way that we are now. I am on birth control. If I had a kid right now, it would be catastrophic to my lifestyle. Beyond that, you as somebody with um endometriosis like birth control like isn't saving you from like or should be saving you from like massive amounts of pain and being able to work it goes on so much more it's so much more useful than just sex it's like yes it's it's like saving me some of the worst pain i've ever felt and like in addition to that as well the research in birth control has also helped with like the hormonal research for people for trans people who are working on their transition like massive massive effects and like hormonal treatments for people that have like other medical issues that are related to their reproductive system like it's so so important and to think that we came from like basically fennel seeds to being able to do with birth control what we can do now Mm -hmm. is just crazy so anyway that is a very I mean, we we traveled about 2,000 years for mm. about 4,000 years of birth control history yeah. in a very, very short, quick time. So thank you for hanging on with me. But that's that's the overview of birth control through through the ages. Um, Jess, that was absolutely fascinating. I had only ever really heard of the like intestine before as a form of birth yeah. control. I hadn't or maybe the crocodile dung. I can't remember, but. All the, all the rest of that stuff, I had no clue. Yams yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And it was literally just like, hey, I noticed that these women are using yams as like, please, I don't want a baby. I'm going to look into that. Let's say, how do they figure that out? Yeah. And like the same thing is like there's the, I'm going to put the acaya gum that uh, they were using in ancient Egypt. That is actively used in spermicides today. Wow. Like just kind of insane how there's a lot of things that i think people got wrong the quick silver pill maybe not it but like <laughs> queen anne's lace that's still also used you know what i mean like there's and then that the culture of like kind of verbally passing these things along even when in times where we couldn't talk about birth control like it just like brings comfort that like when women women will find a way like a will in a way we always do and also the queen anne's lace thing is so bizarre i mean we use that in arrangements at the flower shop i work at all the time and it's just like a common flower and now it's like i i'm gonna look at it in a completely different light that's crazy yeah i I learned so many things today jess thank you shout out to the blue haired girl that likes npr shout out to the blue haired girl Shout out to you. Thanks for coming. Well, guys, we will see you next week for 321 Shots, and we hope you have a lovely week. We absolutely do. Thank you, Jess, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Okay, bye. bye.